And for that, I want to turn to the passage in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he, that is Jesus, said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi when he asked the disciples a question of some importance. He says, who do men say that I am? What is the perception on the street about me? And they responded in a variety of ways. Some of them said that the notion on the street is that you are John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus posed the question to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied immediately, you are the Christ. That is in verse 29. And after this confession, Jesus begins to speak of his approaching passion and death in verse 31. Peter, ostensibly shocked to hear any talk that smacked of defeat, takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. That is monumental. Mark does not record the words Peter uttered to the Lord Jesus, but Matthew does in chapter 16 and verse 22. He said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And as many as have observed over the years, to say no to the Lord is incongruous. You cannot have no and Lord together. Jesus then rebukes him because he has allowed Satan to influence him. Peter must have thought that following Jesus would lead to positions of power and status. And there were signals to suggest that that might be the case. Poor Peter was not foolish. After all, Jesus had already done great miracles like feeding the 4,000 in verses 1 to 9. He had restored the sight of the blind, the man who saw things like trees or people like trees. And so Peter would have come to the conclusion that if Jesus had so much power, power to feed people with a few loaves, power to heal those who were blind, then perhaps he has the power to get rid of the Roman, to break the Roman yoke from their necks. Jesus, however, does not allow him to labor under this misconception. And he lays out before him I believe three essential ingredients of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. When he, Jesus, had called the people to himself with his disciples, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. First and foremost, to be a disciple of Jesus requires radical and decisive self-denial. No one can be a disciple of Jesus unless he or she denies himself or herself. But precisely what does it mean to deny oneself? We think generally of denying oneself, of denying ourselves of something that we enjoy. Like, for example, you know, over Christmas, you probably went on an eating binge, 
and put on a few pounds in places that you do not like, and so you decide to give up cheesecake for you know, the next few months. You, you deny yourself. You look at the cheesecake and say, no, 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 I'm not going to touch you, right? You deny yourself cheesecake or some other delectables. But Jesus does not say that we ought to deny ourselves something. Rather, we ought to deny ourselves. Final. He does not mean that we are to depreciate ourselves or to consider ourselves worthless. No, he's demanding that we deny ourselves. So what does it mean to deny oneself? Essentially, the Lord Jesus commands that those who follow him must renounce self-rule. To deny oneself is to give up the leadership of one's life. The verb in the aorist aspect describe punctilial action, and Jesus demands that we break with the self of idol. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, he says, you must deny yourself, renounce self-rule. The, 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 the reality of the Christian life is that the self is at the heart of sinfulness. It is self-love which seeks to take the place of God. It is, it is the heart of man to set himself up as a competitor of God. Adam's sin in the garden was essentially this, to place himself and his desires above God. The greatest idol is self. And thus the Lord Jesus says, if you are going to be my disciples, the first thing you must do is to deny yourself. To renounce self-rule. To give up self-government. The New Testament scholar C.E.B. Cranfield says that this appears to be harsh and forbidding. But this is really the path to true wisdom, to true freedom and, and joy. Because what he's, asked, what, he's, what he's indicating is that when we renounce self-rule, when we deny ourselves, we truly are liberated. The reality is that ruling ourselves and living by our own rules, we haven't done a good job. If you look at the history of mankind from the days of Adam and Eve until now, self-rule has only landed us in a quagmire. The fact is we can't rule ourselves. So we need one greater than ourselves to lead us. Jesus says, if you come after me, if you are my disciples, you must deny yourself, you must renounce self-rule. But discipleship requires something else, not merely self-denial or renunciation of self-rule. It requires radical cross-bearing. For Jesus says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And secondly, he says, he must take up his cross. Again, the term here is in the aorist, and it is calling for us to decisively take up our cross. But precisely, what does it mean? Well, we think, of, we think of taking up our cross often as bearing with some inconvenience. We think, well, oh dear, my, my, my mother-in-law is coming to visit me, and uh, I have to bear my cross. She will be nitpicking and quarreling and fighting. Can't wait for her to come and can't wait for her to go. Okay. That's my cross. We may think of some illness and some particular physical problem that we have as, as a cross that we must bear in this life. When Jesus, however, says that the one who desires to come after him must take up his cross, what our Lord is asking is not that we will put up with some inconvenience in our lives, 
but he's asking us to follow him in the way of death. That ultimately when you and I become Christians, we have embraced the road to the cross. We have put our lives on the line for Jesus. You see, the cross was odious. It was a symbol of death. Many young people today wear the cross, right, as decoration. We have it dangling from our ears and around our necks. But the, but, but the cross, you see, symbolizes the, the horror of Christ's death. It symbolizes death. It was an offense in the first century. And Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciples, you must be willing to put your life on the line. You must follow me in the path of death. The reality is that many of us may not die physically, but when we become believers, we follow Christ and we follow him in the way of death. We come to align ourselves with that which is odious. We are prepared to suffer and to die, and many Christians throughout the centuries have done exactly that. They have laid down their lives for Christ. Jesus says to the disciples, I want you to know to follow me is no picnic. It's no cakewalk. It may lead you to death. But you see, if you lose your life here, in this life, you will receive it again in the life to come. We live in a culture of contentment. A culture that has no stomach for pain or for sacrifice. And yet Jesus, when he says, if you're going to follow me, you must also be prepared to pursue the road of death. True discipleship involves denial of self, the renunciation of self-rule, and radical cross-bearing, where we are prepared to give our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. And my dear friends, that is no, that is no great cost. Because the king of glory left heaven and laid down his life for us. Paul says, I am constrained by the cross. And we will be gladly lay down our lives for him. It means, therefore, that when you are ridiculed on the street and persecuted in your community or in your family, you're not even dying yet. You have not even suffered unto to blood. So we can bear that by grace. Jesus calls us to pursue him in the road of death. Thirdly, discipleship entails uncompromising loyalty. For Jesus says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, and let him follow me. Here the verb changes, it's the present tense. And therefore it is, it is encouraging endorsing ongoing action. The one who comes after me, Jesus says, he must follow me, and he must follow me essentially in uncompromising loyalty. That's the way of discipleship. In the first century, there were many schools, and there were many teachers and followers. The, the Pharisees thought of themselves as disciples of Moses because they were committed to the Mosaic law. The Pharisees themselves had disciples. Jesus, as you know, had his disciples. But not all the people who accompanied the Lord Jesus Christ on his road to Jerusalem and to the cross were actually true disciples. Some of them followed the Lord Jesus Christ because of food, because 
They were interested in the phenomenon of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, not only must you renounce self-rule and become engaged in radical cross-bearing, but you must follow me. And to follow Christ demands, first and foremost, a separation from competing loyalties. This is the point that Jesus illustrates in the story of the man who, when he was called to follow Jesus, says, well, Lord, let me go back and bury my dead. And Jesus tells him, let the dead bury the dead. That is, let the spiritually dead take care of the physically dead. You come and follow me. And Jesus underscores that to be a disciple of his, to follow him, demands a separation from competing loyalties. We cannot serve God and mammon together. You can serve God, you can serve mammon, but you can't put them together. You see, Jesus Christ demands that he will be Lord or nothing at all. If you desire to come after me, deny yourself and follow me, it means breaking with previous loyalties that superseded Christ. That we give the highest devotion, the highest affection to Jesus Christ. Jesus speaks in a hyperbolic language when he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and his wife and children and his brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It is stark. It is radical. Now, the Lord is not advocating that we are to psychologically hate those who are loved ones. But he uses this to impress upon the disciples that loyalty to Christ must trump all loyalties in this, in this life. All loyalties must be subordinated to Christ. And so he says, if you're going to come after me and you're going to be my disciples, you must follow me. He must be first. And many of you have taken that step. That's the reason you are here. But you must go on following him. And that means renouncing other loyalties and attachments that compete with attachment to Christ. To follow Christ requires communion with him. We cannot follow Christ at a distance. We must draw close. And so Jesus could say to the disciples, if you abide in my words, then you are my disciples indeed. If you're going to follow Christ, not only must we have union, but we must have communion. That's the reason that we read our Bibles and we pray. Because we want more of him. We sang earlier that we wanted more of him. You see, true discipleship is a longing and a craving for Christ. We want to know him like the Apostle Paul says. I want to know him. I long for him. I, I hunger and I thirst for the living God. You see, true discipleship requires not only separation from competing loyalties, but it requires communion, a closeness of heart. There is a sweetness that is found near Jesus that cannot be found anywhere else. I don't know how else to say that. There, there, there is a, a supernatural joy and strength and a sense of peace and tranquility that Christ gives you even when you're in a war zone that defies human imagination. If you're going to be his disciple, you must practice communion 
It also requires that we engage in imitation. To follow Christ, we follow him by reading the word, but by imitation. So Jesus calls us to love as he loved, to pattern our lives after him, to bear fruit that we may be his disciples. Paul says, let this mind be in you as was in Christ. And so we are called to model our lives after Christ in humility, to mimic him in his communicable attributes. Our Lord spent much time in secret prayer, rising early to seek the Father's face. He was patient in adversity, holy and righteous in personal conduct, caring and compassionate. In all of these ways, we are to be like him. If you are going to be my disciples, you must follow me. You follow me by separating from competing loyalties, by, by communion with him. Follow him by imitation. My friends, the path of being a disciple of Christ is hard. It's hard because in a postmodern 21st century, we look strange. People think we're strange. I was at the swimming pool this morning and I was having a conversation with a fellow. And uh, somewhere in the, I was itching for an opportunity to tell him I was, I was a Christian and believe in Jesus Christ. And he gave me, an, uh, well, an inch and I took a yard. But, you know, <laughs> but after that, the conversation died. Didn't, didn't, didn't know what else to say to me. It's not polite. You're not rational in a postmodern world to be a Christian. It's, it's difficult. But I want you to know that to be a disciple of Christ is possible. And the reason it is possible is that whereas in the first century, it was the disciple who sought out the master and attached himself to the master, to be a Christian and a disciple of Christ, Christ seeks you out. In other words, it is Christ who has called you into discipleship. It is he who has saved you and brought you into a relationship with him. And because he sought you and found you and brought you to himself, he will give you all the resources you need so that you'll be able to live a life that is pleasing to him. It's not you who went searching. It's Christ who followed you like the hound of heaven down the labyrinthine ways and saved you and brought you to himself. Therefore, this life, though difficult, is possible. It is not only possible, it is profitable. Jesus could say in the following verses, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit it is to a man that he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This rhetorical question requires... A negative response. Yes, being a follower of Jesus will bring you into conflict with the culture around. But the road of discipleship leads unerringly to heaven. There is no other way. There is no other way to stand before the Lord and to be received by him on that great day but by following Jesus. There were men in the Bible like es Esau who relinquished eternity for a pot of soup. There are men like Demas who love the world and lost heaven. But there's nothing more valuable than our souls. And the only way to be with Christ in the end is to follow. It is profitable because it leads to eternal life. And finally, this path of discipleship is a privilege. 
You see, you're not following some guru who came for a little while like a burning star and then is gone. You're following Christ who lives forever and who has all power in heaven and on earth. And because you're following him, he's the king of glory. He's the, I like to describe him as a despot. Christ is a despot, but he's a despot of mercy. He's a despot of love. He tyrannizes you with grace. And that's why you need to follow him. I am so thankful and so proud of you here this morning. For you have made monumental choices and decisions by being in a place of this nature where you are being trained to follow. I want to encourage you to keep on trekking after Jesus this walk with him might lead you through lush fields. It might bring you through arid deserts. It may take you to unpredictable places. And as you follow him, there are times when you will not hear his voice. You will not see his figure before you beckoning you and calling you on. Sometimes you may even feel alone. Sometimes you may feel that there's a cloud in your way, but keep on pressing on and keep on following him. It leads to glory. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to abandon you. That's the path of discipleship. Renouncing self-rule. Giving yourself to him in communion. And following in after him, taking up the cross, bearing the shame, bearing the grief, bearing the sorrow that comes with being a part of the Christian life. And then following him. You've begun this journey. May God grant you great strength and great grace that you run this race with patience, looking unto the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we would not wish to be anywhere else this morning than to be in your presence. We shudder to think what we would be if you had not reached down and saved us. If you had waited for us to find you, we would never find you. For the natural man does not welcome the things of God. So we thank you that you have found us and you have called us to follow. We pray that in a world of conflicting voices, that you would set our sights only on Jesus and that we'll follow on. Bless your children and bless your people here. Give them great courage, great grace. Draw near them and give them supernatural strength. We ask this for Jesus' sake.